Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Mackenzie Atwood. Welcome to Steven Selects as we spotlight some of the fan favorite pivotal episodes of the show with some of the Crooniverse members who help create them. And today, writers Matt Burnett and Ben Levin join us once again to give us an inside look at Storm in the Room from Season 4. Thanks again for protecting Beach City while I was gone, Connie. No problem. And now that you're back from space, I officially relinquish control of your bed to you. Thank you for keeping it warm, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got another Q&A segment with Steven Universe storyboard artists Jeff Liu and Joe Johnston. They're answering a few more of the questions you guys sent into my Twitter, MK Atwood, and to the official Cartoon Network Twitter. So here we go with Matt and Ben. Thank you guys so much for being here again. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. No problem. For sure. So today we're going to be talking about Storm in the Room. I think that episodes like Storm in the Room, they sort of you know, they take a, a break from the main plot to allow the characters time to just process everything that's happening. Because this was right after the zoo extravaganza arc that uh it was very probably emotionally distressing for steven so how does your uh, approach differ for those kinds of episodes well i you know i think that we in writing these arcs we sort of are we're getting into this mode where it's like we have these we plan out these big events happening that we're going to show and that'll span over a few episodes but you know we can't like keep you know just the engine like at full blast that's not mm-hmm. a correct metaphor but we you know we can't just keep going like full steam. I think that's what it would be all the time because I think it would be just exhausting for the viewers and the production and everybody if we were just constantly in just action battles. And I think that what's important and what I think makes uh, Steven Universe an interesting show is that it's pretty in tune with the characters' feelings and emotions. And so we use this these kind of calm down periods after these big events to sort of show how the characters react to it, you know, mm-hmm. show what a fallout might be from something or a decision that was made during one of those episodes and really make sure we're exploring how everyone feels and, you know, you know what the reality is of being in those situations. Yeah, and it's like these quiet episodes of the show, you know, I was going back and reading the premise and the outline for it and it's like it wasn't as we always start these episodes just a little louder than they are and then they always get quieted down in the final product because in the outline like when his mom creates the storm in the room, or he creates it, I guess, that was more of an action beat and more of a struggle. And there was just more, like, more for Steven to physically do. But, like, yeah, it's like that's not what this episode is about. So we, we often will kind of try and put those things in there to feel like if we need them. But they almost, they inevitably get stripped out because, like, yeah, in particular, this episode is like a quiet episode about emotionally unpacking 
everything from the zoo arc and and uh, several episodes before that. You must have a lot to think about after your space adventure. You almost lost your dad and all that stuff about the diamonds and your mom. I'd understand if you need some space. Nah, the last thing I need right now is more space. Okay, so what do you want to do? Yeah, I think that like one image that was definitely the key to this episode like we we were talking about it and like it's obviously about steven conjuring up uh his mother in rose's room and talking to her but the thing that like from the beginning was like that moment of steven taking off his earrings yeah alone in the bathroom in alone in the bathroom taking off earrings uh looking in the mirror taking off his earrings that was something rebecca was like oh i want that feeling i like we want this like i feel like we worked towards that yeah <laughs> from so far away <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was like something we were writing towards, but overall, it, you know, the episode, that's an important part of the episode too. In addition to him talking to his mother, it's like about Steven just being like, Oh, Connie, don't, don't leave. Uh, Hey, let's hang out some more. And then she's like, I gotta go. And I've got a mom. And he's like, Oh, um, <laughs> I got a mom. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all alone. Uh, you know, and, uh, that part is really interesting. It's just it's such an interesting feeling after any sort of big event, whether it be fun or, you know, stressful, there's that moment afterwards where you're just sitting there by yourself and it's kind of weird because everything is suddenly quiet. And that's what, you know, a lot of that episode is leading up to taking off earrings in a mirror. Right. Yeah. I felt like a lot of the it was surprising to me rewatching it because like like I said, you know, that do you remember the climax of the episode when you're thinking about it? So I'm thinking about, you know, Stephen on the floor. Rose with the storm and everything and, and that moment. But it's it's surprising because, like, there's so much, like you said, that builds up to that. Um, I really felt the, the three-act structure when I rewatched it that you guys talked about. So, like, how do you go about making sure that it feels like you give it time to so, sort of simmer before they start, you know, getting to the meat of the action? Okay. So we know we knew that we wanted to – we were in a place where we were going to have Stephen try and talk to his mother – in the room, even though he knows that the room is just always conjuring up, like, false things. Uh, hey, room. It's been a bit, huh? Is that a new cloud? <laughs> uh, so, I suppose you're wondering why I'm here. I know nothing in here is real, but, but I want to see my mom. We were working towards that idea, but the episode couldn't just be that idea. We need to have sort of a bigger arc to it. And I think the arc of the episode is Stephen feeling this sort of emptiness. He tries to go in to the room to sort of answer some questions and fill that void, but ultimately, you know, finds himself feeling that emptiness again. But then his family comes in at the end uh, with pizza and they're all back and he feels full. Dad! Amethyst! Garnet! And Pearl too? They were all out of pepperoni, by the way, so I just got you mushroom. I hope that's all right. It's perfect. That, you know, we needed sort of that arc. And so that's where, how that sort of, you know, that structure fits into it of like having this quietness at first and setting up Stephen's problem, setting up him trying to like solve this problem with another, you know, with going into this room and then coming out and finding a solution in a different place. I mean, he ultimately does not find everything, in, you know, that he's looking for in this episode. Um, he doesn't answer all of his questions, but he uh, has some sort of small sense of relief at the end i'm sorry if that didn't answer your question i was just rambling about <laughs> no 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 that's it the, definitely that, did that's the uh, that's the sort of structure of the episode within the thing that we wanted to hit which is you know what would it be like if steven talked to his mom in the room which i feel like we saw people 
yeah you know wonder about online you know and yeah and wonder about on the crew too i remember having conversations with people about like that would be the first thing i would ask for like, yeah okay. and i don't know if we i don't think it came up earlier like i don't think it ever felt right earlier for him to do that because i think that would be such a big <laughs> that's uh, this is so heavy and there's so much emotional weight to that that you know it makes sense i think the first thing you would do in there is just like goof around mm-hmm. you know if you got a mm-hmm. playground like that you know you wouldn't be like oh my god let me have this super intense heart to heart with my mom right. who i've never <laughs> met you would be like i want to make a slide and then maybe get to that stuff later so he had to be in a special place for this i feel like to happen yeah i think he never knew his mom he only knew her through stories so he misses her but she's not a person he ever knew and so it's it, it's a little bit different than like oh i feel like for him like it's not something he had that he wants back he just never had it so it's not something he would immediately jump to like oh, i want to see that person again and then also early on in the show she's like a very intimidating figure to him because in the beginning of the show he's he's constantly feeling like everyone wants him to be like her and he's not even close to being like her for my whole life I've been hearing stories about you, about how amazing you were, that you were so kind and loving. And every time I'd see the painting of you hanging in the temple, I'd be inspired and reminded of how much I had to live up to. I, uh, I've even thought about dyeing my hair pink more than once. It's intimidating to invite that in. So, and also, yeah, he's just a kid and you just find a magic wishing room. So, yeah, you wish for some silly things at first but then like yeah as he's matured and the the story kind of took us to a place where he she wasn't necessarily as intimidating anymore because he was finding out things about her that diminished her or caused him to question her decisions that's when you know he felt kind of strong enough to approach her yeah or felt the need because i think that that was also one of the, the the caveats for any time we do one of these episodes is like his gem would have to glow and open the door and it would have to have a strong emotional feeling that would bring him to that. And so we were, I think when we're talking about like coming off of these arcs, the thing that you learn in the human zoo arc is just another layer of complexity to Rose in that you're seeing this other side of the diamonds. Mm. You know, I think that you knew that she had shattered pink diamond, but then you see blue diamond mourning it. And that just adds another layer of confusion to Steven because you know, their diamonds are humanized a little bit from more than what they were before. You saw Yellow Diamond. She's pretty harsh. And you'd seen the story of Blue Diamond. But now you're seeing Blue even relate to Greg, you know, about loss. And so that kind of makes Rose even more confusing to him and, and makes it the pull to go talk about her and talk to her even stronger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because um, I, it just seems like but the the connection you made was makes it so much more sense about how the diamonds are becoming humanized, which makes him question it. Because it was like, the, you know, the uh, the arc with the zoo and everything, that involved his dad more than anybody, but it all comes back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think his, his conflict is, like, his internal conflict, do you think that it's more of one of coming to terms with the fact that, like, there's shades of gray when it comes to, like, morality and... Rose wasn't one or the other, and he can't really categorize it? Or do you think it's more like understanding his own, like, who he is as a result of that? I think it's that he is seeing that the world is more morally ambiguous. And up until this point, I mean, he's modeled himself after 
Rose based on the stories he was told in which she's like this stalwart of the downtrodden and, and uh, you know, looking out for the little guy and always doing the right thing. And, oh, she's so perfect. And then to find out that, like, even she was kind of mired in this world of gray, you know, and, like, the stuff with, with Bismuth, too, of, like, you know, even within the Bismuth episode, it's not clear cut. Like, she's not wrong. She's just presenting a different point of view that, you know, it's challenging for Steven. And at the end of that episode, he feels like, you know, he lands on like, okay, she was she was incorrect about what she wanted to do. But then finding out that then his mom did the exact same thing, it's just like, you know, he modeled himself after his mom to a degree. And then to find out that like, oh, she, I'm completely wrong about who she was, is it, I think it then becomes a question of like, who am I? Like, am I her? And do I kind of have to carry on that, like, kind of complex moral grayness that she had or or have I really fashioned myself into someone who's stronger and, and different and will make different decisions than she made. I've been uh, thinking about you a lot lately, more than usual. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the show is about just identity mm-hmm. in, in general. Yeah. And Steven's identity, you know. Right. is a huge, huge piece. Yeah. Yeah, and you can't really separate them, like the... I guess this is what I'm hearing is like you can't really separate Steven's identity from like Rose's ambiguity because like they're the same. They're like they're kind of the same person in some ways, you know? Yeah, at this yeah. At this point he's just been so she's been so intrinsically tied to who he thinks he's supposed to be that yeah, he it's complicating his uh, identity issues. Mm-hmm. So one last thing I was thinking about is um there's a lot of uh the moment with the earrings you guys were talking about. It reminded me of some other stuff we'd seen earlier in other episodes where he sort of is, like, taking a moment to just, like, you know, the show's just taking a moment to twist the knife in our heart and Steven's, <laughs> like, thinking about uh, <laughs> his mom. It, it reminded me of something that happened in um, in Nightmare Hospital, I think is the name uh-huh. of the episode, mm-hmm. where at the end of the episode he sees Connie and his mom, or and her mom, and he looks at the sword and he sort of just, like, thinks, you know? Yeah, right. He doesn't really know how to feel about her. So why did uh, Connie's relationship with her mom specifically led him to uh, start thinking about Rose? I'm coming in. Connie! Mom! Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's feeling... I think it's one of those just puzzle pieces of Steven's feeling a little like he just went through something big and he doesn't want to be alone. And then, you know, you know, ironically enough... Connie's mom comes in to, to take her home. He, he sees them have this warm interaction and it, you know, it, it kind of makes him think about the things he doesn't want to think about when he's alone, you know? And so he's left alone to kind of think about these, these harder questions, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. You know, as like, as the show has, the show has dealt with serialization, like, uh, like the zoo arc is one where every episode is just running into the next. And we kind of wrote that specifically as like an event that is going to be able to have cliffhangers and we can kind of just pick up, the next episode without recapping too much. But but other than those very specific events, we do try and, like, make every story function uh, within its single episode. And I yeah. think the inclusion of Connie's mom was a way to, to kind of bring up those serialized elements from previous episodes about Stephen's mom without having to then just start with Stephen being like, oh, remember this, remember this. I'm thinking about all these things that you didn't see. Uh, right. Having her mom there... Mm-hmm. is like within that episode if if you know they say it, every episode might be someone's first 
So within that episode, you, you're a little bit more clued in and able to track the story with the Connie mom stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think we – and there was a sort of struggle to figure out how much we had to have him verbalize and stuff and how much it could just be looking at that portrait. And I think that we struck a good balance. But, yeah, you know, everything has to – we try and tell a complete story even though it is yeah. a big arc. Yeah. Can I say one thing? That one yeah, moment sure. that I love the episode rewatching it is uh, – that we were able to do is when Rose talks about sports. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that all sports are beautiful. Steven, all sports are beautiful. Each sport is a unique experience. The adrenaline, the glory, the sheer feats of athleticism, each one so complicated and yet exactly the same. <laughs> that was so fun to like. Is that a straight lift from the I video like, she made for Steven and like we just fine replace sports? Yeah, it was just this. That was the funnest thing to be able to write like this weird version of Rose <laughs> who's just talking about sports yeah. in the same way she talks about the beauty of life. Yep. Yeah. Right, because that's the only thing she, he really knows about her. So she's just like filling in those. Yes. This yeah. is how she is just, with everything. I just want to say I really yeah. I like that we got to do that. Super funny. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for, for coming and talking to me. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for having, having us. us. Okay, storyboard artists Jeff Liu and Joe Johnston are coming up to answer a few of your questions. Thanks to everybody for sending in questions for the Crooniverse. And Joe Johnston and Jeff Liu are back for a few more. Our first question comes from Cameron, and it's about Stevani. How does the crew fuse dialogue between Connie and Steven? Like, how do you get the mix? I feel like when I write Stevani, I just kind of have Stevani alternate between Steven and Connie's voice. Mm. Like, if there's something Stevani has to react to, it'll be one very, like, analytical and serious kind of response, and then maybe a goofy one, just, like, switching back and forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be hard to sort of, especially with some of the other fusions, like like uh, Alexandrite, it's kind of hard to marry sort of everyone together, unless they have a very, very specific goal, say, like, if they're fighting another character, then they're all unified in a, in a fight, and so they all speak with one voice. But then, as other things start to um, draw each character's attention. You start to hear each one of their voices come out of the character, I think. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got a question from Rebecca. Not that Rebecca. Different Rebecca. In your experience, what was more beneficial in improving your storyboard skills? Uh, was it like making your own animations or comics? Well, mm. I never really did comics. Um, I, I got into storyboarding through animation, mm. and I made several films at art school. Uh, so that was like really good experience with practicing storyboarding and just taking an idea from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. But actually, when I started on Steven Universe, I really did not have that much experience with storyboarding. So I was really like learning as I was going and just doing like hundreds and hundreds of storyboard panels over the course of several years. Like, that's the best way to get good at anything is just to do it a bunch and just uh, don't give up. Don't give your don't fall into like your own doubt. And just keep trying. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff and I came from the same school and we were supposed to make films every year. Um, and definitely making a film gives you that sort of you said it, you said it, you said it already <laughs> beginning to end, taking it all the way through and finishing it. Yeah, I think it's easy when you're by yourself just trying to learn to to like have all this ambition and inspiration to try to make something, but to just only kind of get through the planning part of it and not to fully go all the way through. 
And I think just when you have the experience of completing something, it really allows you to kind of look back on your experience and then like see what mistakes you made and how you can learn from them and like how to move forward. I think when it comes to like comics and films, you get different you get different experience from doing either. And so, so like for comics, I think you get a very good uh, experience for, with writing and joke telling, whereas doing a film, you get experience sort of figuring out tone and pacing, um, which is a big part of storyboarding when you're thinking about how the whole thing is going to flow together, um, which you don't really think about with comics. You kind of, you're, you're, you're sort of tracking how the reader is sort of following the panels, but you're not thinking about how long a scene is or uh, how long this, this line is and what the acting is during the line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of storyboarding. I think the cool thing about comics, though, from what I've observed about other artists, is that it's so writing-focused and, like, people become really good at telling stories that way. And that's that's a skill that, for me, as coming from an animation background, I had less experience with. Mm-hmm. I had more experience with the, like, filmmaking, like, cinematography, editing, animation side. Yeah, me too. So, like, with comics, I think you, you get more writing experience because... You can make comics much faster than you can make animation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and films, it's much, much, much faster. So that's that's an added benefit. Okay, cool. All right, here's a question from Alberto. Uh, what are your favorite jokes that you had to cut, if you can remember? <laughs> oh, oh boy. Oh yeah, there was a frog in Serious Steven episode, what two or? Well, it's the second one we boarded. The second that was one like we episode eight or seven. Yeah, I wrote a song where Steven. Uh, or the gems fight a giant frog corruption monster, and then he sings a song about it. Uh, that was cute. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was my favorite, though. It was That was like the early days. I was, I was still learning. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you again. Thanks. You too. And if you have a question for the Crooniverse, tweet them to me at MKAtwood or to the official Cartoon Network Twitter. And please remember to use the hashtag StevenUniversePodcast and watch episodes of Steven Universe on Cartoon Network or the Cartoon Network app. The Steven Universe Podcast is produced by Charles Abadje, Stacey Perra, and Conrad Montgomery. Special thanks to Rob Sorcher, Cartoon Network Studios, and the Crooniverse. Join me next week as writers Ben Levin and Matt Burnett return to give us a behind-the-scenes look at Mirror Gem and Ocean Gem. And be sure to subscribe to the Steven Universe podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a five-star rating and review while you're there. I'm Mackenzie Atwood. See you next Thursday. <laughs>